a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This is a podcast we do every week based on what is happening in the world, international relations. We choose something that's interesting happening, don't we, Keith? And then we break it down for you. Not me necessarily. I'm certainly not the word on all of this stuff. This man is decades and decades of education on international relations uh, and international politics, three PhDs, commentary on pretty much every channel in Australia (laughs) over all these years, Dr. Keith Souter. And my name is Kate Mack. We worked together for quite a number of years now. So, Keith, this one, uh, Trump's military legacy, because we know that he loves the military. But he hasn't had any wars in the last few years, no, but he has been building it up, right? That's right. That's the key thing. This is a very interesting article by uh, Professor Michael Clare, who's uh, written a lot about military matters over the decades. So this is a, a new article in which uh, Michael Clare looks at the two sides of Trump's military legacy. So the good news, as you've already pointed out, is that Trump has not started any new wars. Very different from George Bush and Barack Obama. He um, has complained about the way in which the United States is bogged down in all of these uh, fruitless wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, Syria, Somalia, and also, of course, the destruction of Libya, which was undertaken by Barack Obama by destroying the government of Colonel Gaddafi. Uh, It meant suddenly that people could use the chaos in Libya as an exit route into Europe. Europe, in international terms, just begins off the coast of North Africa on the island of Lampedusa. So you get through Libya and you're heading towards Europe, and that's why we've got partly the asylum seeker crisis and all those people dying now in the Mediterranean as they try to flee Africa. And they're going through Libya, which you would never have tried to do in Colonel Gaddafi's day. But now Gaddafi is gone, the country is divided, And this is Obama's legacy. And so Trump, to his credit, talked about these these awful wars and the need to bring America home. He was appealing to the sense of combat fatigue that Americans are feeling, the fact that they're losing so much blood and treasure and get so little thanks for it. So Trump did very well in the 2016 election campaign. He promised to try to bring the troops home. The deep state in the United States would not allow him to do so because if you're a general, you don't want to get a reputation for having lost the war. So Bush would have realised that he had lost in Afghanistan and Iraq but really didn't want to pull out because he didn't want to be a president who'd lost a war. Mm. And Obama kept those wars going for eight years even though clearly the United States wasn't winning. But again, Obama didn't want to get a reputation for losing wars either. Trump has come along and Trump has just very truthfully said, we're not winning. We've got to get out of here. And that's what he's been trying to do. But the generals have been stalling it because they know that once America, say, take Afghanistan, once the Americans pull out of Afghanistan, Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, Islamic State will be able to boast, there we are, we've driven the Americans out. And so the generals are saying, we're looking to the long term. Sure, Americans are getting killed, but we are not getting a reputation of being losers. This, this is the, the issue. But uh, I thought that Trump was dead set on getting out of there. I thought absolutely. He, he wants to, but yeah. the generals won't let him. So he has been reducing them, but not quite had, you know, he would like to have had a peace deal in, a, in Afghanistan by now. The Taliban won't play along. 
you know, that, uh, what he wants, as, as how the Americans got out of Vietnam, was to have a decent interval. So you've got to let the Americans pull out, declare peace in our time or some other phrase that'll confuse people, and then you have a decent interval, and then your enemy take over. So if you think you've got January 1973, the peace deal in, in Paris, and then the takeover is April 1975. Yeah, but then it never hid the fact that they lost in no. Vietnam. So, But it meant the Americans for a while were able to say, well, so those Vietnamese, we've tried to help them, we, we failed to obviously build up their force, but that's a failure of the Vietnamese, mm. not the failure of the Americans. And that's what they were trying to do in Afghanistan. And the Taliban are saying, no, we're not going to give you a, a decent interval. We want you to go now. Or otherwise, we'll just keep killing you, which is, in fact, what's been happening. So one strand of Trump's legacy has been his desire to pull out of all of these fruitless wars. And that's what's made him popular amongst ordinary soldiers, not the generals, but amongst the ordinary soldiers who bear the brunt of the fighting. Um, because the nature of the American recruitment is so different now. Um, the recruitment is now from people from disadvantaged communities in the United States who look towards a time in the US military as their way out of poverty. So you get a, an education, you then get also a degree, and who knows, you can start a whole new life. One of my favourite books that explains Donald Trump in 2016 was a book called Hillbilly Elegy. And J.D. Vance, who grew up in the um, well, in Ohio, but very much you know linked to the West Virginia situation, out of appalling poverty, joined the Marines, made a man of him, then went on to Yale, and now he's doing brilliantly in the United States. So that is a role model that a lot of others follow. So the military are their way out of poverty, but it means that you're recruiting for people who are very financially disadvantaged and they are vulnerable. They're the ones who get recruited. They're out of a sense of desperation. And they are people who are seeing Trump come along saying, we're not going to send you to any more of these stupid guerrilla struggles. So full marks to Trump there. He did not create in his four, so far, remember he's not out of the office yet, that's January 20, but so far he's not created another war. That's the good news. The bad news, as Michael Clare points out in his article, is that the United States is now converting itself from focusing on terrorism to, to fight an all-out, cataclysmic, potentially nuclear war with China and or Russia. So there's been this rearrangement. Now, we've, we've seen that we're in the foothills of the skirmishing because we see the tensions between the United States and Russia, and we also see it between the United States and China. And so we're seeing then this new era emerging. Remember, we've looked at this in, in these podcasts. We talk about the Thucydides trap, the problem of when you have a dominant global power being challenged by a rising power. And in the last 500 years of the 16 occasion when that's happened, 12 have resulted in war. And this is the new era into which we're now moving with the United States and China as the rising power. So the article by Michael Clare looks at how the Americans are getting ready to fight wars of a conventional nature and potentially nuclear nature as well. So we've wasted so much time chasing a handful of, of Muslims around the world as terrorists. Now we're going to get back into the business of conventional wars. And this is where America expects to win, right? It's very difficult to win guerrilla struggles. 
The British did so in Malaysia, or Malaya as it then was. Um, that took an awfully long time. The Americans don't have that same sort of staying power. Uh, so it's very difficult to win a guerrilla struggle if you're trying to impose your views from the outside. But a conventional struggle, different. Well, what, what is the appeal of a conventional struggle these days? We've come so far in terms of technology. Like, you don't, you, like, when you say conventional struggle, I picture ground troops moving yep. in on each other across territory, but that's... Well, not necessarily ground troops, not necessarily human beings, of course, with yeah. artificial intelligence. Mm. Some of these are going to be machines that are going to do their own war fighting and thinking for themselves. Like Terminator. Yeah, exactly. Great. <laughs> <laughs> This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We are talking today about Trump's military legacy that he's leaving behind when he leaves office begrudgingly in January. He hasn't entered any wars, but it hasn't stopped him. You know, obviously he's been building up the military, as we were just talking about. He hasn't actually entered any wars, which I think quite a few people are surprised about. But he hasn't. it hasn't stopped him posturing about Iran particularly, has no, it? No, but that, that, that is certainly a continuing struggle. Um, and uh, and that may well be the, the war that we get before January 20. At the moment, he again, to his credit, he is trying to avoid actually having to go to war against Iraq. But what he can, Iran, but what he can do, of course, is to have an, uh, uh, an aircraft carrier fleet off the coast. It looks very threatening. Makes for great TV. Mm. I live at Potts Point, so I, <laughs> I have, I'm right next to the Navy. And you get these giant American aircraft carriers coming in, and this is almost his own office block has just moved into the harbour. They're just so big with all their support vessels as well. So really major. Imagine how expensive it is to move that around the world. And under Trump, you've had an increase in the acquisition of that type of heavy capital equipment. So what Trump has done is that he's, he's been modernising the nuclear weapon capabilities, including miniaturising warheads. So you'd be able to attack a city blow up one part of the city without destroying the whole of the, the rest of the city. Different from Hiroshima, for example, which just flattened the entire Japanese city. Now you can just knock out a suburb, at least in theory, with a, a nuclear warhead. So he, he's improving, if that's the right word, <laughs> the, the nuclear weapons that the United States has got. He's expanding the Navy through additional surface ships and submarines, and he's also modernising the Air Force, and then finally there's got this whole new area of warfare, which is the cyber warfare, outer space and all sorts of things. So that includes artificial intelligence, robotics and cyber warfare. So, in fact, we're getting this massive build-up, which Biden will not want to reverse because he, he's very much part of that Washington swamp anyway. Mm. And you've got major corporations that are making lots of money. Mm. The Americans find can find money for war but not for peace. So you've got people who are living below the poverty line, they're desperate for food. Even though America grows so much food, it doesn't necessarily mean they've got food in their locality. We've looked at that in this series. You know, we've looked at food deserts, etc. So Americans can, can find money for war but not for peace. And so what we're seeing then is that there's um, mighty carrier fleets that he's creating and um, it, it's an amazing um, achievement on the part of the Americans that they're putting so much money into it. And, of course, the Americans are spending more than the next 12 countries combined. That includes Russia and China. So the Americans spend more on this stuff 
And that's where they're trying to, in effect, they're saying, look, we can't beat a handful of guerrillas operating in Afghanistan, but we certainly can beat the the Chinese Navy in the Indo-Pacific region. So we find ourselves now in the front row of the next looming World War III because it'll be in this region. But why do you think it will happen? Well, because I think China and the United States seem to be virtually on this collision course. This is, what, well, as I say, it's the Thucydides trap. You know, we, we do not have a good record for being able to avoid great power conflict. But someone like Joe Biden and Barack Obama don't strike you as the type of individuals that go to war without, a, like, we you know, that's a last case scenario, right? But Obama did. Remember, he destroyed Libya. He got bogged down in Syria. Yes, yeah. I, I know, but the Syria one felt like it was important because it was the impact was worldwide with ISIS. Well, it's still handled very badly. <laughs> you're unimpressed. I, I know you're. I know you're a fan of Barack Obama. I'm not. No, no, no. I've watched a lot of documentaries about him, and like I know where he went wrong. And I, I understand, you know, his inability to get things done as well. But um, as just sort of as a temperament thing, they're more they're more diplomats than they are warmongers. Oh, yeah. Whereas you look at Trump and you go, oh, he's a warmonger. But in fact, he's not a warmonger. But yeah, I know. Yeah. It's just fascinating. And he evaded military <laughs> service as well. <gasps> just like Clinton. George W. Bush, you know, if, if you're a rich kid, you don't fight. You send others, the poor, the disadvantaged, off to fight nowadays. You don't fight yourself. Mm. Um, it's interesting. Uh, it, I think it was in Vietnam there were more diplomats killed than generals, more ambassadors killed. So it just shows, you know, if you're in the ruling elite, you're fine. <laughs> so what we're looking at then is a new type of warfare. Wars are always different. The problem is that the military are always preparing to fight the last war, the diplomats are always preparing to avoid having to fight the last war and the new warfare is different. So what we're looking at now is a campaign that will deliver paralyzing blows to what's called the enemy's three C3I capabilities. So there's critical command, control, communications and intelligence. So what you want to do is to have a, a, a blinding attack such as on the, you know, the United States on January 20, at 12, at 12 midday, we know where people will be gathered. They'll, they'll be on the steps of the Congressional Building. That'll be a great time to attack the United States. Now, there's one member of the US Cabinet who will not be there. So he or she will be in a concrete bunker well away from Washington with the authority to launch nuclear weapons. Is that what happens? Yeah, oh, wow. because they, they realise the risk they're running, having all of the top brass... In one in spot. In one spot. And particularly with miniaturised warheads nowadays, you could you could knock out that part of Washington, northwest Washington, without necessarily disturbing some of the suburbs. In theory, anyway. Mm. I'm, I'm always a little wary about how good this military equipment is. Yeah, yeah. But in theory, that's what you could do. And this is a new era of warfare. Now, if, if things go wrong, then it becomes what's called all-domain warfare, and in which case everything is used, in which case it's just the end of the road for us as a species. I think you won't, we won't destroy planet Earth. The planet itself is resilient. Uh, it'll just simply learn to live without us and it'll probably feel a huge sigh of relief. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> it's excited for the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and don't worry about the next form of life where we know that down on deep on the seabed in 1978 we discovered six-foot-long giant worms that are blind because obviously there's no light down on the seabed. They live off the waste that comes out of the earth, and that that will then they will form the basis of the next form of evolution of life. If you come back in a million years, 
So our replacements are waiting for us when we do actually decide to destroy human life on this planet. How likely is it, Keith, do you reckon? Well, I'm ho- obviously hoping not. That's why I continue working. But <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be, I don't know, living as a you know, hippie commune, making sure I don't read long novels. There's no guarantee I'll be able to finish them. So obviously with a sense of optimism, one tries to keep moving forward, but one has to realise also that, okay, Trump's done a great job, no new wars, but he's also changed the focus and is getting ready to fight the war with China. It's been a trade war. It could be a military war. Watch this space. Dr Keith, thank you. Thank you. This has been Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app. 